Welcome, listeners, to Season 4, Episode 12 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Kelly, my pronouns are they, them. And this week, we're watching the 80s cult classic, Chopping Mall, a.k.a. Killbots, from 1986. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this mocktail to ensure you have a nice day. That was a quote in the movie. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) This episode will contain discussion on misogyny, sexism, and racism. If any of these things are something that you need to not hear about today, feel free to skip this episode. We'll see you next time. So I made the drink this week. You did. And I thought, you know, we're in a mall. They're teenagers. They're not supposed to be drinking. Why don't we have a night off? Let's have a nice mocktail. So I call this drink, have a nice limonade. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a loser. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't say it, but you know. <laughs> But this is, I know that when Kelly takes a sip of this, they're going to go, oh, because it's sour. Um, not too bad, actually. <gasps> Yay! I tried to make it better for you. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it seems like you put sour ingredients in it, but it's not as sour as it could be. Cool. Good. I mean, lime is definitely not as tart as lemons, and that's more the flavor that I don't like, is the tartness. Of the lemon? Yeah, I'm no tart. Well, I- it just makes, wow, that was good. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> It's just good that this is a limonade instead of a lemonade then. And it is with fresh limes in there, mm-hmm. along with something else to cut that sourness a bit. But of course, if you want the full recipe, you gotta go to patreon.com slash drink and scream. But I am a big fan of this. I have mine in a fancy glass and I could see myself drinking this out on the porch, you know, or just shoving a straw in there and walking down a mall hallway, <laughs> slurping away. Yeah, I could definitely see that. It's um, it'd go great with some hot dogs, some nachos. Uh, is nachos a mall food? I don't know. I've never had them at a mall, but I've seen them eaten at <laughs> I malls. You were gonna say I've never been to a mall. I've never been to a mall. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I like some uh, some duck tartare. <laughs> Go into the food court and get some like uh, creme brulee. Num num num. You know, just like mall regular ass mall food. <laughs> uh, no, you get a you go to Orange Julius and you get one of their bad hot dogs with pepperoni on it, or you go to one of the twenty uh, gelato. You get gelato. What? N- yeah. No. What? What mall has gelato in it? Like uh, every mall or food? Co- I think I'm thinking food court. Maybe it's like a specialty food especially gelato section outside of the food court like an actual store okay i usually just had like chicken chow mein and orange julius souvlaki oh yeah kovac souvlaki that's true (laughs) (laughs) not sponsored not sponsored But yeah, so this week we watched Chopping Mall, a.k.a. Killbots, which premiered on March 20th, 1986. It's written by Jim Wynorski and Steve Mitchell and directed by Jim Wynorski as well. It stars an ensemble cast of 18, so bear with me here. Kelly Maroney as Final Girl, Allison Parks. Tony O'Dell as Nerdy Guy, Ferdy Meisel. Russell Todd as Machine Gun Wielding, Rick Stanton. Gary Emerson as his wife, 
Linda Stanton, Barbara Crampton as Allison's emotional friend, Susie Lynn, Nick Siegel as generic sex crazed teen, Greg Williams. Sorry, couldn't think of anything else for you. <laughs> John Terleski as gum chewer, Mike Brennan, and Susie Slater as knows what she wants, Leslie Todd. Wait, you're telling me that the sex crazed teen wasn't the gum chewing guy as well? Well, he was the gum chewer, you know? But, but he also was sex crazed. <laughs> they all were sex crazed. This is an 80s slasher. Not the nerdy ones. <laughs> <laughs> this synopsis was written by user Hugo on IMDb. Thank you. The Park Plaza 2000 Shopping Center is implementing a new nighttime security system developed and monitored by Securetronics. While part of that system is fortifying the interior with impenetrable doors, time to be secured from midnight to 6 a.m., the core of the system is three 101 series protector robots who are programmed to neutralize any non-authorized personnel until the police arrive. On the first night of this new system, eight, four pairs, of the younger shopping center employees are secretly planning on an after-hours party at the home furnishing store in the mall, so chosen for the beds and couches for more intimate pursuits. Hard Mm -hmm. wink. Set up on a blind date, Ferdy Meisel and Allison Parks are the two somewhat reluctant attendees. mild manner Ferdy, worried about the state of the store after the fact, it is where he works, and proverbial girl next door, Allison, who has only worked at the mall for a week, not knowing anyone at the party besides her co-worker, Susie Lynn. Their party takes a turn when the robots begin to malfunction and decide that their collective mission is to kill anyone in their way. Making the situation worse for the eight is that they are caught inside the shopping center after midnight, meaning they are trapped with the killer and seemingly indestructible robots at least until morning. That is, if they survive until then. Complicating matters is that they are surrounded within a mall full of merchandise, which may work for or against them. And then I got such a great synopsis of the rest of this film from an anonymous user. So I'm going to use that. Nice. The group of teens get hunted and split up by the killbots and picked off one by one, as this always happens, in brutal deaths of flame, lasers, pincer arms and headshots until only Allison and Ferdy remain to search for the control center in the storage areas of the mall, trying to turn off the bots. When the last remaining killbot corners Allison, she is rescued when Ferdy shoots it point blank, damaging its laser and setting himself up as a target instead. The killbot strikes and appears to kill him as Allison escapes by falling to the lower mall level, injuring her leg in the process. She sets up another trap for the killbot in a paint store by mixing paint and chemicals from the shelves and goading the killbot into the store where it becomes stuck. Its tracks unable to find traction on the spilled paint and thinners. She throws a flare into the store where the volatile chemicals explode, destroying the final killbot. As she leaves the store, she hears Ferdy call her from the upper mall level, revealing that he was still alive. The film ends with Allison and Ferdy together as the mall is now at daytime, showing that Allison and Ferdy survived the night massacre. After the credits roll, a killbot shows and says, thank you. Have a nice day. As it then cuts to black. Yay. Thank you. That was so easy. <laughs> IMDb, you know, users, we're all collective movie fans, and I appreciate you all. You never have to write a synopsis again. Ha ha ha! Hit me with that trailer audio. 
Paul has a new security system. Completely mobile, user-friendly, and absolutely fail-safe. But something is going wrong. There's another one of those things out there. We need to pick us up one by one! He ain't getting me. They're here for your protection. And Sharpie will never be the same. Kill bots. So I'll start off now that you've heard it by saying that this was a very hard trailer to find. I actually found one that had more views than this one, but it was clearly a fan made trailer. Mm. Whereas this one only had like 13,000 views. So I'm still on the fence. It felt weirdly paced and the movie was so well paced that I'm like, it was, was that wrong? I mean, you, like we say a lot, you usually get a different production company to make the trailer than the actual movie itself. That's true. I Yeah. Plus that showed a lot of the movie. But again, we can't really tell if that was, you know, the real one, because a lot of trailers show a lot of the movie. <laughs> like that was just showing people who died in the movie dying. Yeah. But I mean, I'll I'll trust the Internet. The Internet's never lied to me before, and I don't think it's going to lie to me now. <laughs> At least it had the music. It was a lot faster paced than the like main theme in the movie, though. I think that was the one that plays when they're getting chased. I've definitely that is definitely in the movie. Because it's usually like do 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 do. Anyways, do you have thoughts about this movie? Thoughts? I do. My first thought is that this is such a refreshing horror film. It is, is that why you made the drink so refreshing? <laughs> what a compliment indeed. But it's totally 80s, as you heard in that music. But it's very awesome. And I don't know if I can actually pinpoint what it is that I love about this film so much. It's just super fun to watch. It's one of those movies that you can like yell at the TV <laughs> as it's happening. It's not one of those those artisanal artsy movies that Kelly's always talking about. Ooh. It's just it's just an easy drinking movie. It's the <laughs> it's the Budweiser of movies. And it's also different than a lot of other 80s horrors. Like I said, oh, this film is so 80s, but also other movies that came out around this time are like Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street, which are like the typical 80s horror that you think of. Yeah. But this one I found controversial take way more fun than those movies. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. I mean, I don't think saying something is fun necessarily prohibits the other movies from being good. Yeah, it doesn't mean that it's better. I don't know. Maybe it is to me. I guess it depends on what you're looking for. Yeah, I wanted to watch something that was fun that I could just like have a snack and not have to worry too much about plot and just be entertained. And if I had to pinpoint something that made it so good for me, I think maybe it was the music. <laughs> it was like electronic repetitive melody that kept the energy super high and exciting. And it wasn't like 
annoying synth. There was something about it that just made me want to like move my body along to it as the film was happening and people were like being murdered and I'm like, yeah. So you're saying the, the music slapped is what you're saying. I am saying that. Exactly. It was very energizing. Yeah, that is. it is uh, rare to see a slasher that is so upbeat and still has like a gr- bunch of gruesome deaths in it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, also, your point did make me think that there are a lot of very good horror movies that I love to watch, but I would definitely not consider fun. The, I keep talking about The Ritual as one of my favorite horror movies. Yeah. That movie is not that fun, <laughs> yeah. but it's a really good movie. That's like my go-to answer when we're asked, what's your favorite horror film? I always say A Quiet Place. Yeah. Which is true. I love A Quiet Place, but... This is just a different kind of love. Yeah. And I wouldn't necessarily even say that this movie is that good, but it is fun, which does kind of play up. I think it's a it's that triangle. We need to find a third thing on the triangle. It's the the fun, good blank. Ooh, interesting. Um, And we'll we'll think of it. Oh, yeah. And that could be something we could like add into the show. Ooh. We could have like our rating system. Although we are very adamant about never rating the movies. That's Kelly's it's, mom's job. It's not rating. <laughs> it's classifying. Ah, okay, okay. I mean, we could have the blank just be that that mm, undefinable quality. <laughs> mm, chef's kiss. That's what that's what people really like to listen to in review shows is a undefinable, undefined, no point to it quality, right? Yeah. The umami, if you will. Yeah, they're like, I'm going to go on to a review site to see if I would like this movie. Oh, they said that there's an element that they just don't can't label whatsoever. It's so helpful. pinpoint. Great. Very helpful. (laughs) (laughs) My next point is that we watched this film on Shudder, not sponsored, and it only had a runtime of 77 minutes. And I just wanted to compliment the film on that because the pacing was excellent. Like there wasn't any fluff. They weren't adding filler and I thought that that was fantastic. And I wish that more movies would do this. You just want shorter movies. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to have my time wasted. It's not that I don't like long movies. I do if they're well done. I think that filmmakers get into this weird balance that has to do with runtime that they're trying to make it like a feature length film. Yeah. When it could be just as excellent of a story, but trim down to size, trim that fat, get me a nice quick horror like host. That's a full fucking movie. That's 45 (laughs) minutes long. I think what you're telling me is that we need to go into more the like schlocky kind of indie horror of the day. And that's one that we haven't because we... I mean, hey, little behind the curtains. We like to watch the movies that are popular because it helps the pop the podcast be popular too. What? Oh my god. So watching a movie that doesn't have a lot of followers or that somebody hasn't really heard of before doesn't help us, but I think what you're saying probably exists a lot in that realm is just mm. like Someone made a, a movie about a bunch of fucking robots in a mall killing teens and didn't add anything other than those elements <laughs> to the movie. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of movies like that where it's just like, I want a fucking shark in a tornado killing people. Sharknado? So let's just have the whole movie be sharks and tornadoes. Let's do it. <laughs> We haven't seen that. Wait, have you seen that? I, I haven't. I have not. I know that one of them has Daniel Radcliffe in it at one point. Wow. 
or Frodo. I don't <laughs> I don't remember which one is it. Seems more like an Elijah Wood thing. But I don't know. They both went really indie. They both make some weird ass shit. It's yeah, great. I love it. That is true. Okay, back on <laughs> track. This is not a pre-fear. I'm just helping you discover <laughs> the kind of movie that you probably like. <laughs> <laughs> My last point is kind of a two-parter. Part one, so many Boobs. Many boobs. This is definitely 80s slush. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to comment that I have a scaredy fact that I thought I just had to put here because, well, you'll see. Jim Winorski says Kelly Maroney was cast because, quote, had seen Kelly in a couple of things and I wanted to date her. So I figured the one way to make that happen was to put her in a movie. Mm-hmm. She replaced Dana Kimmel, who had been cast on the strength of her performance in Lone Wolf McQuaid from 1983. But Dana, 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 it's gotta be Dana. Donna is not a oh, name. Donna's 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 a name. Donna is like D O N N A though. It's not D A N A. Yeah. I'm just gonna keep Dana. Dana quote did not want to do anything that was sexual. So then they cast Kelly Maroney, who was super into it. And I just wanted to call that out. And I'm so sick of fucking directors, producers, whatever you have it on film sets, just casting women because they want to bang. Yeah, it's a power trip to be like, hey, I want to date this person. Let me give her a job. That's uh, not good. Don't do that. And then there you go. She can't give consent because you have this authoritative position over her. And then you're like, hey, I'm going to have her be naked in this. Did she was she, which one was she? She was the final girl who I don't actually think was naked in the no. film. At least the version that we saw, which I will tell you more about in Scary Facts. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, yeah, she didn't really do much or anything that was sexual. She made out a bit and yeah. then that was it. But still, that, no. Bad. <laughs> don't just stop it. Bad. <laughs> water spritz. Water Bad spritz. Bad Jim Winorski. <laughs> Ugh. But on the other hand of this like weird misogyny sexism thing, it was really cool that none of the characters slut shamed in the film. Yeah. Uh, they all at one point were basically like having sex at the same time at a party in like beds or on couches, which was weird to me, but sure, people do that. <laughs> they, uh, they're, you know, their dad owned a, a bed store. So then now everyone knows, well, they probably don't know. Now everyone's buying beds and couches that a bunch of teens had sex on. Oh, boy. Not great. But they all didn't care. And I thought that was really chill. And especially like the women, they knew what they wanted. They were very intimate. They wanted to have sex. And I thought that that was really cool. Especially the fact that they weren't like degrading each other as it was happening. They did like virgin shame, though. That's true. The uh, nerdy guy wasn't getting laid and that wasn't cool. So they forced him to go on a date with someone. Yeah. Yeah. But then they just ended up watching a scary movie together. And making out a little bit. Who would do that? (laughs) 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 Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Um, And then to wrap up my little feminism point, it was really cool that Allison was an excellent shot with the pistol. She was like the only one that was dead eye. Yeah. Even got that nickname. And then (laughs) Linda, uh, which is the wife of the husband wife duo, had to fix the car for her husband after he insisted on fixing it and he couldn't do it. And I thought that was cool, too. Yeah. She also made the Molotov 
like kind of oh, Molotov yeah. cocktails, but they were like just gas canisters. Yeah. Um, very, so she, very big brain. Yeah, she was very handy. If you you could see the stats of everybody. <laughs> and that's it for me. Um, super fun time. You know, it's definitely of its time, though, in regards to how it portrayed ladies. Yeah. But still a little sliver of silver lining, which I appreciated. A little unpetite feminism. <laughs> a little feminism as a treat. <laughs> We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. Looking to add some spooky fun to your home decor? Then step into our parlor. The Spider and Fly carries everything from classic monster ceramic bathroom sets, Ouija board cutting boards, embroidered horror towels, printed mugs, and our new line of creature candles. Our horror fabric masks will keep you safe and stylish during the pandemic, available in several horror designs. We also offer custom printing services. Get your favorite spooky design on a wallet, mug, puzzle, or cutting board. The Spider and Fly can be found on Etsy. Etsy.com slash store slash The Spider and Fly. Use code DRINKING to save 10% off. This season of Drinking and Screaming is sponsored by American Nightmare Candle Company. Discount time! Get 10% off your order on their Etsy page with code DRINKANDSCREAM. Bring the horror into your home with a handmade soy wax candle from American Nightmare Candle Company. The scents are inspired by locations iconic to the horror genre, places like the Overlook Hotel, Sleepy Hollow, and Elm Street. Each fragrance combination is carefully curated to transport you into the story, and the catalog is ever-evolving. Plus, they're safe for your own little buddies. They're made with soy wax. They're buddy approved. <laughs> I like how you said that so dead. They're buddy approved. They're buddy approved. <laughs> are you a killbot? Yes. Available for purchase at Etsy.com slash Nightmare Candle Co. Something exciting came from Evil Amy this week. We got a pair of Funko Pop figures that go together. They are from one of the Dracula movies, the one with um, Gary Oldman. Ah, uh, the Bram Stroker. Yes. Very, <laughs> very cool. They are new. They are rare, as I'm hearing, that she doesn't have too many in store. Ooh, and we got them. So if you want to get yours, they ship globally at Evil Amy's Terror shop.com and you can use code evil 10 10 being one zero for 10 percent off your purchase i like it. it's bram stoker i just like saying stroker ah this season of drinking and screaming would not be possible without the support of mad lab distillery you can get their awesome stuff at madlabdistilling.com they got some bitters they got some gin they got some woodka they got some great stuff and they're so supportive and the show would not be what it is without them yeah if you could patron them that would be awesome you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream on Facebook at drink and scream. And you can email us at drinking and screaming at gmail.com. For more information and to buy some merch, go to drinking and screaming.com. Back to the episode. Do -do 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 -do. Do you have thoughts? I do. I have some thoughts. This movie did exactly what this movie should do for me which is that it made me want to watch a whole bunch of movies and binge horror movies until about four in the morning. Hey! Um, it just put us in the right mood to like dig in and keep the train rolling. We were going to watch Hell Knight 
which I think you watched alone. And then while we were watching it, we realized that I had already seen it because you had already made me watch Been it. Like we should watch this movie. And I was like, wait a minute. Isn't this the one where they're in the uh, house and then they get attacked and you're like, yeah, and I was like, all right, I've seen this. So we switched. So we watched Brightburn and then we watched Orphan, which are both some movies that I really want to talk about. So I'm not going to talk about them here. Ooh. And then may, we'll add it to the list of movies we potentially watch in the future because I have some points about uh, both of those movies. Interesting. But uh, yeah, that's just a it's a good sign when you finish a horror movie and you don't need to like take a break or something like that. And you're, or you're like, oh, well, that's the end of the night. But it's more like that was a good appetizer for more movies to come and more drinks and then being a little bit hungover in the morning. <laughs> but I definitely agree with you. We had such a fun night that day. Huh, that day. Whatever. I mean, I guess it was day at it the end of It was morning by the time we were done. And it was really fun. And yeah, a different version of horror or not version, but like Avenue. Yeah. That was nice to explore. And I think that, um, you know. Having that movie is very good because when the pandemic is over and we can go see people in real life, having those like, oh, let me pull out a, a movie I really like that's going to make the party really fun movies is something that's really important. You hit the nail on the head with what this film is. Yeah, it's now in your deck of movies that you can pull out. Chopping um, mall. Yeah, because nothing feels worse than a bunch of friends recommending a bunch of movies and you've got nothing so not anymore. You're welcome. Listeners. You can all borrow Chopping Mall <laughs> <laughs> and it's on Shutter, So it's easy. Yeah. Just tell them we we sent you so that your friends start listening to us, <laughs> you know, in 20 years when the pandemic's over. Mm -hmm. My second point is what the fuck was up with those two people in the beginning of the movie in the like presentation for the robots? Yeah, I kind of I didn't talk about that section of the film, but it opens with this like commercial for the protector robots. I mean, that was cool. And yeah, I enjoyed that. And then it's over and then we see that it's been a commercial. And it's not actually the narrative that we're watching. And there's like a sales pitch or explanation, security explanation for the three robots that are joining the mall security team. And there's this couple that are basically acting like Statler and Wardolf. Wardolf? Statler and Waldorf? Waldorf? Are those the angry Muppets? Yes. Okay. Statler yes. and Waldorf. There we go. I got it. <laughs> uh, but they're not funny. And I was, it was one of those scenes where you really felt like this was a cameo. Mm. Like these two are famous somehow. So they put them in the movie to boost sales or recognition. I didn't recognize them at all. I did not, but I looked them up. So oh, okay. they are, uh, they are Paul Bartel <laughs> and Mary Warrenov who are both apparently big names in like this category of horror movies. Oh, damn it. I got egg on my face now because I didn't recognize them. Oh, no. I who mean, who am I? It's uh, Mary worked with uh, original right? Roger something. Man, we're really showing our cards. Anyways, uh, they worked with um, like a bunch of people. I think Paul uh, Bartel directed the first death race. OK. And uh, yeah, so I think they were just thrown in there as big names to be in there or friends of the show. I don't know. Um, but there were a couple things they said that they did not age well. Mm, I have one that sticks out in particular. Yeah, the guy said, I don't like the robot in the middle. It has an ethnic look. And I didn't like that. Immediately we both went, oh. Yeah, and having that so early in the movie really puts like a, 
uh, puts you on edge because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, God, what's the rest of the movie going to be like? And yeah, this movie was very white. Oh, yes. I think there was literally one black person in the entire movie. I was going to say, was there any? And he was a janitor. I think I like read somewhere that he was famous, but not for movies. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a cameo that he was in there, too. Yeah. So, yeah, it was an incredibly white movie. There was one black person who was a janitor and had maybe a line. And then also a couple lines that were said that were a bit problematic. So not great. Not not a great barometer for um, this movie. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, once it actually got into the plot of the movie, nothing really bad was said. But it was also just a bunch of white people talking to each other. So they didn't have anybody to bounce their bad jokes off of. Mm hmm. There also was a lot of fat shaming in this film. Oh, yeah, that was bad, too. Once you really look at the nitty gritty of its representation of the people who aren't the sexy eight teens. Yeah. um, Really bad. Yeah. And also Italian phobia. The like greasy. Oh, yeah. Pizza man. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. Okay, so we're really... So really, this movie was bad. <laughs> really Damn just it. a bunch of American w- hot white people <laughs> talking to each other while making fun of literally anybody who was different. Mm-hmm. God forbid anyone was gay in that movie. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Although those robots were married, so... Hard wink. Anyways, my my last point is that it's a good... It's also a very good movie to just yell at. <laughs> That's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically for me, it was yelling at the technology because there was a lot of like dumb technological lines. Also, for some reason, the technology looked like RoboCop. Yes. Every aspect of the like advanced technology looked like it was stolen from RoboCop. (laughs) The like locking door mechanisms. I swear to God, those were a RoboCop set. Well, I mean, RoboCop came out in 1987. Ooh. So really the same basic year. Yeah. I wonder how many like smaller movies bought props from bigger movies. I mean, this was I can bury the lead here or do the opposite of that by saying that the budget for this film was eight hundred thousand dollars. It's not which is I'm shocked. There was a lot of stuff in there. They had a head explode. They had a lot of explosions, actually. (laughs) Fire. Yeah. But now that I think about it, I actually went to a lot sale for a movie and got a bunch of clothes. So lot sales exist. So yeah. I imagine some directors probably go to a lot of lot sales to get like cheap props and stuff like that. Mine was for um, the uh, Full House mockumentary. So I bought of like real a lot of really bad clothes. Oh boy. It was great. <laughs> Looked like I bought them from a thrift store. But yeah, it was really fun to be able to yell at the TV. I just yelled boobs as is tradition for drinking and screaming uh, whenever the boobs come. Yeah, I yelled not just at the technology, but that fucking gum kid. Oh, God. I, we didn't mention this, but the... App- I commented on it when I said who it starred. Yeah, but I need to, I need to explain <laughs> it. This kid... Never didn't have gum in his mouth. And I don't know who the person was with the boom. Must have shoved that boom right in that kid's mouth. Because all you hear is... (laughs) I'm going to hold back actually doing the real ASMR. Because it was awful. And I hated it. And I was glad he died as early as he did. Because if I had to watch that entire movie with him gum smacking, I was going to smack my TV. (laughs) Anyways, that's the kind of things we yelled. Yeah. And that means that 
Oh, what? Something else is yelling. Do you hear that? What? It's like the screaming of a million souls trapped in a book. Oh, it's uh, it's the Recomnomicon. And it's time to open the Recomnomicon. See, that one was implying that the Recomnomicon is just an old friend that showed oh, up. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, once in a while, the Recomnomicon just appears on your, your library <laughs> shelf. I added laser sounds. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Do, 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 All right, do, do, do. what do you recommend? My recommendation is Brightburn from 2019. Uh, I really regret sitting on this. I remember seeing it and wanting to watch it, but then just kind of like slipped away. Uh, but now that it's on Netflix, it's actually really easy to find. It's also got basically an entire Office cast. It's just people from The Office. I love The Office. Um, the only connection to this movie is that we watched it after watching this movie. So <laughs> still works for the Reconomicon. Ha! And what movie was that? That was Brightburn from 2019. My recommendation is Slumber Party Massacre 2 from 1987. I actually haven't seen the sequel, but I did enjoy the original. And I'm recommending the second one because I know that it has a lot more music involved in this. And it just makes it a lot more of that typical 80s slasher horror. So that's Slumber Party Massacre 2 from 1987. Nice. It's time for... Scaredy Facts. This is the part of our podcast where we invite you into our mall after we've watched a scary <laughs> movie and we're too spooked and we sneak into our dad's bed store, get under the covers, yeah. read some trivia facts about the movie to just, you know, desensitize us because it's just some kids running around the mall shooting some fake robots and they're all hired actors. And then we'll bang, okay? Yeah. My brand. <laughs> <laughs> Starting with the budget as per usual, $800,000 estimated. But I have no information about the opening weekend or the cumulative worldwide gross. Nothing. I couldn't find it anywhere. I searched high and low. Shutter is the first time it's going to make money. Oof. <laughs> Imagine. Nobody watched this movie. <laughs> I can't remember if I included it, but I know that there was two versions of this film. It didn't do so well the first time it came out as Killer Bots. Oh, Killbots? Yes, as Killbots. Oh, here. The movie was originally released in March 1986 under the title Killbots. It performed poorly and the producers felt the movie's title turned off audiences who might think based on the original movie poster that it was a Transformers-like like children's cartoon instead of a violent exploitation movie. So after some time, the movie was re-released to theaters under the title Chopping Mall with over 15 minutes cut. Oh, wonder what the cut parts were. Yeah, I I know that there were some parts of Allison and... What was his name? The Fred, nerdy people. Ferdy? Ferdy? Ferdy. Ferdy. Yeah. A lot of their scenes were expanded. I think there was a bit more sexy time that was removed. Ooh. Uh, yeah. What a children's cartoon based on Terminator. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Now, now that I look at the poster, I just typed in Killbot's poster, and it is the robot on the cover that kind of does look dorky and cartoony. Instead of the like severed arm that yeah. is not in the movie, but is the VHS poster. Wow, that doesn't look anything like the robot. 
The film was allowed to shoot at a real California mall as long as they did not damage any facilities and had removed any traces of their presence before the mall opening time of 9 a.m. While the mall's head of security didn't like the filmmakers and was constantly accusing them of causing disrepair, the mall's owner was very supportive of the film and made sure the production was able to complete its work on schedule. That's cool. I mean, I feel like the security guard probably has more reason to hate them because he probably sees what they're like. Mm. And this dude doesn't seem cool. Yeah. And the mall owner's like, "Ooh, a movie filming in our mall. It'll be such good promotion. Yes. <laughs> we called this out when we were watching. There was a book that one of the security guys or like engineers was reading. And we're like, this has got to be a reference to something. So the book that Garrett Graham's character is reading is They Came from Outer Space, 12 Classic Science Fiction Tales That Became Major Motion Pictures, which was published in 1981. And it was edited by the film's director. So that's why it oh, was there. That makes sense. Yeah. Kelly Maroney did most of her own stunts. Woo. That's pretty cool. Go, Kelly. Woo. Which included like the hanging off of the the rail. Like she had a lot of stuff. So I'm curious how much of it was. It really was her with the there was a tarantula yeah. and a snake. Which was one of the parts where we were watching the movie and I was like, I wonder if she doesn't like tarantulas and snakes. But then the director was like, no. you have to do this. Yeah. It's also funny because when she was hanging from the rafters, I was like. This clearly looks like a stunt double. You can tell it's an entirely different person, but it wasn't. Well, I'm not sure. It's the the scary fact just says she did most of her own stunts. Oh, they okay. don't specify. So I'm curious. Maybe that one she didn't do. Yeah, because it didn't look super like her and it looked like there was a wig. Mm. The director provided the voices for the three protector robots. Ooh, have a nice day, <laughs> which is basically all they say, which is why I'm saying it so much. <laughs> oh, yeah. OK, so we sort of touched on this. Despite the iconic VHS cover and ad campaign, the mechanical claw seen gripping the bloody shopping bag never actually appears in the film. Similarly, there is only one actual mutilation in the film. The exploding head scene, of course. The rest of the victims die either by having their throats slit, being electrocuted or set on fire, or falling to their deaths. Ooh, all of which we see in the trailer. <laughs> if that is the real trailer. Oh, God. Oh, no. In November 2011, Dry County Entertainment acquired the film rights and is planning a remake with a supernatural twist. Whoa. The film will be produced and written by Kevin Bocarde. Bocard? Bacardi. Bacardi. That's sure. By Kevin Bacardi and directed by Robert Hall. But as of t January 2021, nothing has materialized of this so far. So the rights, the f sequel, the remake are in limbo. I wonder if it'll see any love on Shudder, which might spark more interest. True. We'll Could see. be. <laughs> Car and gun facts. <laughs> Wait, you're just combining them now? <laughs> In addition to Ferdy mentioning he has seen Dirty Harry 24 times, he has actually armed himself in the film with the pistol made famous by that movie, a Smith & Wesson Model 29 44 Magnum, albeit with a shorter barrel than Harry Callahan used. Mm. You know what they say about guys with short barrels? They're good at shooting guns. I mean, he was kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> The Stanton's car at the beginning of the film is a dark blue 1977 Chevrolet Blazer 
Okay, five. Mm, Chevrolet. It just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> it's an inside joke that I have to say Chevrolet yeah. so that I drive Kelly's mom, Colleen, bonkers. And last but not least, the buggy that Rick uses to kill a killbot is a bright red Taylor Dunn step saver. Yeah. Oh, the the mall, little mall cart. I yeah. forgot. I was like, what the fuck? I don't remember him using like a doom buggy. To, <laughs> I Yeah, that was a weird scene. He's like holding an AR and then he like driving this little buggy and he's like, ah, pew, pew, pew. and then he died. Yeah. Final thoughts. We're done. That's it. Um, My final thoughts actually changed a little bit after we talked. My original one is that it, it's a real gamble sometimes to find an old slasher fic flick that isn't riddled with problematic content yeah um this one isn't perfect i guess like if you cut the beginning with those two people and then like the entire pizza scene it would be better like there's uh, they really mostly just talk about the robots later on yeah so yeah it's not a perfect movie but it is definitely a safer choice than a lot of things that are out there yeah Mine is that we, I talked about this before, we frequently get asked, what's our favorite horror movie? And I think that this one is definitely a contender for when you want to watch a fun slasher. I really love yelling at the TV, (laughs) but like when we're asked what our favorite horror movie is, I really think that it's important to like get specific on what you're in the mood for. Because I got, if I want a slow burn spooky film, I got a recommendation. If I want something super fun and wacky, I got a recommendation. And yeah, this is definitely a fun, fun, not too much pay attention to movie. (laughs) Well, that's been Chopping Mall, a movie about why it's important to not build robots with laser beams. You hear that, Boston Dynamics? Next week, we'll be watching Annihilation from 2018 with special guest Sarah Mayfield from Tabletop Titties. Whoa. And remember, always scream responsibly. Ah. Bye. Do, 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 do. Have a nice day. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Drinking and Screaming. Drinking and Screaming is produced and edited by Charlene Bear. Our sound engineer and logo designer is Kelly Wright. And it's hosted by, yep, you guessed it, Kelly Wright and Charlene Bear. For bonus episodes, Patreon poll voting privileges and exclusive rewards, become a patron at patreon.com slash drinkandscream. Want a shout out? Review us on Apple Podcasts and we'll read your review live on the show. For more information, check out our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. 